following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. Back on the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mushroom. I was wrong. I thought it was Mike Johnson today. It's a Darsh. Morning, Adarsh. Morning, Tom. So this article from the Wall Street Journal says uh, investors retreat from U.S. stocks turned into another route on Friday, leaving major indexes down more than 4% for the week as the November jobs report failed to offset persistent anxiety over the U.S.-China trade b- dispute and uh, the global economic outlook. The slide pulled the Dow Jones Industrial Average down as much as 663 points and put the blue chip index in the S&P 500 back in the red for the year. The indexes, along with the NASDAQ composite, suffered their biggest one-week point and percentage decline since March, and all three are off to their worst start to a December since 2008. So not a very good look for the indexes. No, not at all. And uh, so from peak to trough, the high that the index made in uh, September, the the market is down a little over 10%. Uh, When I say the market, I mean the S&P 500. Uh, And that means that it's officially in correction territory. Anything over 10% means the market is in correction. Uh, Although uh, in February of this year, uh, the market dropped uh, almost 12% from its high. So... Percentage-wise, it's not down as much as it was in February. Right. Although it feels a lot worse just because uh, in February, it was a very swift drop. You know, it went up, it dropped, and then it started moving up again. Here, uh, this time around, uh, over the last two months, the market's been, you know, uh, range-bound. And it it goes up, it gives uh, this false sense of it, you know, uh, reverting and starting to go up, and then it just drops. Uh, so it's been emotionally, it's been uh, more traumatic than it, it was uh, right. in uh, February. So it feels a lot worse. The the headlines are a lot worse, but it dropped a lot more in February this year. Yeah. And uh, do you think yesterday felt like capitulation a little bit? So th- there are a couple couple of uh, you know uh, things that 
you can look at, uh, I look at the, the VIX, which is, you know, the fear index. The VIX is still not as high as it was in February. Uh, and you can look at uh, what's known as the put-call ratio, which also is an indicator of how much uh, negativity there is and uh, what option traders are doing. Uh, that's pretty low. Um, and then uh, there's an index which surprisingly, uh, you know, uh, uh, it's become popular and it's put out by CNN. It's called the Fear and Greed Index, which looks at six different measures. And that showed a measure of 11, zero being extreme fear, 100 being extreme positivity. Uh, and yesterday it registered a low of 11, which means that there, there is quite a bit of fear out there. Uh, although, um, you know, when I talk to people, uh, there's still a sense that you know, it's just a dip. Let's buy it. It'll come back. Yeah. It's it's not the sort of fear that we saw, you know, in 08, 09, where everyone just hated the market. So uh, there's still a sense that this is just a dip. It's going to come back. Now, ideally, I'd like to hear, you know, when I say people, I mean just people I talk to, hear them say that they, they hate the market. Right. You know, that would be a, a <laughs> real uh, gauge of, uh, you know, how extreme the fear is. Uh, but I think we are close to it, and it does not really have to get that extreme before the market rebounds, but we are getting close to it. And where the market closed yesterday uh, is very close to the low that it made in, on October 29th, where the market made a low of 26.03, the S&P. Uh, and yesterday it closed at 26.33. Um, so it's gone back to that October low, uh, and hopefully it'll hold that low and you know uh, bounce back from there uh, but overall sentiment is is a lot worse than it was earlier this year when you know uh, there, there was a sense that what we saw in 2017 was going to continue and you know here we are at the end of the year uh, and the markets really returned zero yeah exactly what the jobs report means for rate hikes in 2019 um, the November employment report released Friday while slightly shy of economists' expectation. This is an article in Barron's by Randall Forsyth. Should do nothing to deter the Federal Reserve from going ahead with its widely anticipated interest rate increase the week after next. But signs of softness beneath the headline numbers further bolster interest rate market expectations expectations that the next year may see only a single Fed hike, if that. Non-farm payrolls rose, rose 155,000 last month, short of the consensus guess of a gain of 200,000 and down from the revised 237,000 jump in October. Um, looking at the more meaningful three-month average, Growth in payrolls has slowed to 170,000 through November from the average of 200,000 through most of uh, 2019. Nonetheless, these are solid results. That's good enough for the Federal Open Market Committee to raise its federal funds target by 25 basis points at its December 18th meeting. So people are expecting that there will be another interest rate increase. But now it's being said that 
they may not do three or four more of them in 2019, which is what the market thought was going to happen uh, for several months. Right. So the the narrative has completely changed. You know, a few months ago, it was all about inflation rising, um, you know, the economy being extremely strong, earnings growing rapidly. Um, and the Fed had communicated that they would raise interest rates four times this year and four times next year. Uh, and now, uh, you know, that you can look at future rate hike expectations as a futures market that lo- that shows what interest rates are expected to be, you know, three months from now, six months from now. And all those uh, rate hike expectations that were built in are being reversed. So now, you know, the markets are not expecting uh, as many rate hikes uh, next year. Um, a lot of things have happened. Inflation, the last inflation uh, numbers that came out weren't really that strong. So that shows that inflation is really uh, contained. Uh, when you look at the unemployment uh, report that came out, um, you know, unemployment stayed at 3.7% where it was, but not as many new jobs were added as was expected. Uh, when you look at what long-term bond yields are doing, they've been dropping. And then uh, there's all these fears of how you know this trade war uh, with China is going to impact uh, the supply chains of different uh, companies, and you know how what what the outcome of that is going to be. So all these factors put together uh, has you know made the market nervous. Uh, the Federal Reserve Chairman spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he sort of tried to give a more, uh, you know, dovish, which means that, you know, he said that no interest rates were not going to be go up rapidly. And the reason why he said that was because, um, you know, one of the main concerns of the Federal Reserve is not to tighten liquidity too much and, you know, slow down this recovery prematurely. So, uh, really, we've gone from, you know, everything's great, the economy is great, to now, you know, everyone's worried about what's going to happen. Uh, you know, are we going to enter a recession? What's happening with the yield curve? You know, which to me is extremely overdone. You know, everyone's talking about the yield curve. You know, like it's going to predict uh, uh, a recession. Um, but the 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 narrative has changed. You know, we are, we are no longer. Uh, all positive about the stock market and and the economy. Right. Okay, stay with us. We uh, you're listening to the Tom Dupree show powered by Dupree Financial Group. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. April. North Korea. It could happen. 2018. Trade war. Syria. Chemical weapons. Paul Ryan is retiring in chief. Bill Cosby. Oh, Twenty nineteen. Barbara Bush. Happens here. Today. News Radio 630 WLAP. At Dupree Financial Group, we do not earn commissions on your hard-earned retirement dollars. We don't sell you investment products that are difficult to understand. We do research on every security we recommend to you and follow them closely. We meet with you every six months to go over your investment performance. We don't hide from you. We communicate with you regularly about the status of your investments with us. We want you to be informed, comfortable, and happy. If all this sounds too good to be true, give us a try. 
Call us at 859-233-0400, and we'll set up a no-cost, no-obligation review of your retirement investment portfolio. You may be pleasantly surprised to find out what sort of services are available to you, the retirement investor. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and DupreeFinancial.com. 630 WLAP. I was alone, I took a ride, I didn't know what I would find there. Another road where maybe I could see another kind of mind there. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. So we talk about the yield curve a lot, but maybe it would be a good thing to explain it to people who don't know exactly what that is. You want to try to do that, Adarsh? Yeah, so the the yield curve is basically, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a, I guess, a, a chart or a, a plot of what different bonds, bonds, maturing at different uh, dates are yielding so you you look at a three month note you know uh which currently yields 2.25% then you look at a 30 year uh bond government bond which yields a little over 3% a 10 year bond yields 2.9% uh so bonds of different maturities have different yields Usually, longer-term bonds, a thirty-year bond will have a higher yield because you know it's it's got a longer uh, maturity. Whereas a bond that matures in three year, three months will have a lower yield because it's going to mature a lot sooner. So there's a safety factor. You know, something that matures right. sooner is safer than something that'll mature in thirty years. Uh, so usually, when the economy is expanding and uh, the economy is growing. Uh, a yield on a three-month note uh, will be lower than a yield on, you know, notes or bonds that mature in, say, a year, 10 years, 30 years. Uh, so the yield curve, when you plot it, is upward sloping. You know, if you were to draw a line from a three-month note to a 30-year bond, that line is usually upward sloping. Uh, What's been happening here recently is that that line has been flattening, which means that, you know, a three-month yields 2.25%, but the 10-year... Actually, the three-month is, uh, according to the U.S. Treasury um, site, is 2.4%, right? Okay, now. so even that's gone up. I, I yeah. guess they're uh, pricing in the next rate hike, which is yeah. about to happen in December. Um, so they're showing uh, the three-month is at 24 the 10 years 285 and the 30 years 3.14 right so it's still it's still upward sloping so the 3 month is still higher but that gap between the 3 month uh, which and is the, at 2.4 and the 10 year which is at 2.85 is is narrowing right so that means that you know that curve is flattening uh, now historically when the curve flattens or in some cases inverts, which it did in 2006, it means that short-term rates are higher. So the short-term uh, rate in 2006 went up to 5.25%, but the yield on a 30-year bond, as the economy started deteriorating, started coming down. So it was below 5, it went to 4. So the yield curve inverted. Um, uh, 
people, economists, I guess, or uh, policymakers look at this yield curve to see, you know, what future growth expectations are, what future inflation expectations are. So as the short-term rate increases, that means that the Federal Reserve is tightening liquidity. Uh, they're trying to get the economy uh, to cool down or to contain inflation. Uh, future rate uh, growth expectations start decreasing. So now the fear is that uh, every recession since 1975 was preceded by an inverted yield curve, which means that long-term interest rates were lower than short-term interest rates. Uh, every recession since uh, World War II was also preceded by an inverted yield curve, except every time the yield curve inverted, there wasn't a recession. So that means that, yes, there has been recessions post-World War II after an inversion of the yield curve, but that's not necessarily the the norm. So the yield curve can invert and we may not have a recession. That That's happened before. Uh, but it's it's been talked about uh, a lot lately. It's been uh, not just in the financial press, but, you know, in other, uh, even regular newspapers, uh, there have been articles about how the yield curve is inverting and how right. that could be predicting uh, a recession. Uh, but that's not always the case. We've had inverted yield curves and there hasn't been a recession. Um, just because, you know, long-term interest rates are low, you have to look at it, you know, uh, relative to what interest rates are in other places. Interest rates in Europe are even lower. This is a, a very global financial system. So a lot of funds from overseas also come into the U.S. Uh, so just because funds from overseas uh, are investing in long-term government bonds and driving their yields down does not mean that, you know, a recession is, is in the future. Also, every time there's been a recession after the yield curve inverted, the recessions happened over a year after the yield curve inverted, not immediately. The stock market has historically turned negative about six months after the yield curve has inverted. Uh, the yield curve is still flat. It's flattish. It's still upward. When you look at the three-month and the 30-year, it's still upward sloping. Um, so, uh, you know, it does not necessarily mean that a recession is about to happen or the stock market's about to, right. uh, you know, drop. Uh, so a, a lot has been made out of it. And really, uh, when something becomes obvious, you know, I mean, if, everyone thinks that because the yield curve is inverted, we are going to have a recession or the stock market's going to drop. That's usually when that does not end Happen. up happening because then then it's too obvious. Usually yeah. what drives the market down or what causes a recession is is there are things that, you know, are not expected. You know, they if they were that easy to uh, predict, then, you know, everyone would be able to predict the, the market. So... Um, uh, it's good to know about, you know, it does mean something. And then the second thing is now people are looking at the five-year and the 10-year or the three-year and the five-year. So they're looking at different points on the yield curve and saying, oh, look, that's inverted. Just because the three-year briefly went over the five-year. Yeah. That really doesn't mean anything. Uh, really, if you want to look at the yield curve and uh, the Federal Reserve themselves, they put out a, a paper on their website. They talk about how you have to look at the three-month and the 30-year. That's right. really the best uh, you know, gauge of whether the yield curve is inverted. In 2006, 
the three month and the thirty year there was an inversion where three month rates were higher than thirty year rates. Right. And we are nowhere close to that. Yeah. U.S. companies starting to feel the pinch as tariff costs start to mount. American companies <laughs> that import products are paying record amounts in customs duties as more tariffs imposed by the Trump administration take effect. Tariff collections topped $5 billion in October, according to data from the Treasury Department and from the Census Bureau data analyzed and realized by tariffs hurt the heartland, a lobbying coalition of manufacturing, farming, and technology groups. President Trump campaigned on an aggressive trade agenda and from early this year has opposed or considered tariffs on thousands of products from dishwashers to semiconductors. U.S. revenue from tariffs has begun to build rapidly only in the last few months as more of the levies have taken effect. The amount of tariffs being paid by U.S. importers has doubled since May, including an increase of more than 30% from August to October, according to the data. This is an article from the Wall Street Journal. Um, Why are tariffs, well, we need to do this quickly, but what what is it about tariffs that uh, people like? And we can say it briefly, and then we'll deal with it when we come back. So tariffs, uh, we've had tariffs, you know, it's a very old concept. When the U.S. was first founded, there were tariffs uh, to protect American industries. Uh, but tariffs protect domestic industries from uh, foreign competition. That's been one of their purposes. Right. Uh, and the second purpose, which is perhaps more relevant today, is to protect U.S. businesses from unfair practices, you know, by, uh, say, companies that are based in foreign countries. So a tariff is a tax which uh, is paid uh, by whoever imports the products into the U.S. Uh, so it raises the cost of the product, but it... Uh, it also helps products that are manufactured right. here. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about how they affect things when we come back. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show, powered by Dupree Financial Group. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. Hey, it's Matt Jones for Universal Windows Direct. Have you been cold in your own home? Call my guys at Universal Windows Direct. Universal Windows have incredible technology developed by NASA called Super Spacer. It makes the windows last up to five times longer than other window systems. Call my guys at Universal Windows Direct now. Because for every window you buy, you'll get the next one free. Some restrictions apply, but you can call Universal Windows Direct. 859-300-8600. Like me, you'll be saying... I love my window. In today's digital world, children are exposed to more potential threats than ever before. In fact, 54% of children have private conversations with strangers online, and one in three young people have experienced cyberbullying. As an internet provider, Windstream takes internet safety seriously. We encourage parents to get involved with their child's online activity. There's a number of ways to keep children safe without imposing on their privacy. For helpful tips and resources on how to protect your kids online, Visit Winstream.com. iHeartRadio wants you to win the ultimate Rolling Stones no-filter tour fantasy. The Stones have given you everything. You know what they haven't given you? 
the shirt off their back. iHeartRadio flies you to a stop on the Stones Tour. VIP tickets and all the fixings. Grip and grin with the band. And walk them to the stage. And afterwards, you get the shirt off mix back. Tickets at RollingStones.com and Ticketmaster. To enter to win, just listen to Rolling Stones No Filter Radio on iHeartRadio. New court filings from Special Counsel Robert Mueller's office Friday outlining accusations against President Trump, his former attorney and fixer, Michael Cohen, in the Russia probe. Prosecutors saying that Cohen made illegal payments to two women who claim they had affairs with Donald Trump and that he did so under the direction from Trump himself. ABC's Terry Moran is at the White House. President Trump says Michael Cohen is a liar and that there is no other evidence aside from his comments and his testimony that Donald Trump was involved in this at all. He still maintains he had nothing to do with these women. He had no idea about the payments until well after they were made. Mueller also outlined alleged ties by President Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, saying he lied after he signed his plea agreement. In North Carolina, police announcing they've arrested a suspect in the kidnapping and murder of Hanya Aguilar. The Lumberton Police Department and the FBI arrested 34-year-old Michael Ray McClellan. She was abducted last month. And in Paris, demonstrators out in the streets again, protesting over fuel taxes and demanding Macron resign. Michelle Franz and ABC News. For your Saturday, we are going to be tracking cold conditions, highs by this afternoon, only reaching into the mid-30s. But it's tonight that we're really watching for that winter weather maker across portions of southern and southeast Kentucky. Here in Lexington, not really seeing too much activity, but we could see that snow and ice turning overnight into your Sunday. And we could be seeing a lot of snow across those portions as well. I'm WKYT meteorologist Adam Burns from News Radio 630 WLAP. Broadcasting live 24-7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP, an iHeartRadio station. HelpWantedLexington.com presents the world's worst boss, the one who posts jobs on huge national job sites. Looking for anyone with a pulse. We'll just call him Dave. Dave, Gene from Corporate. You placed an ad on that huge national job site, and now HR has thousands of useless application. Well, Gene, you clearly said we want quantity, not quality. That's exactly the opposite of what I said, Dave. Oh, well, like my mother taught me, if at first you don't succeed, cut your losses and run. Bye! Dave. Don't be a Dave. Find your perfect local employee at helpwantedlexington.com. Local jobs that work. How's it taste tonight, folks? Oh, oh it's excellent. Where was it raised? As a chef, it's important to know where your food comes from. That's why we buy local and Kentucky-raised food. My boys are the 10th generation to farm in Kentucky. We take a lot of pride knowing that what I set on the table is a good product. And we're proud of the products that we produce. You're getting an excellent quality product. We believe in what we produce. We feed it to our own family, and we're happy to share it with your family. Kentucky Farm Families. Feeding Kentucky. Feeding the world. Sponsored by the Kentucky Agricultural Development Fund. In my family, we do a gift swap game for the holidays, and one year there was this epic battle over a robe from thecompanystore.com. Now we all bring gifts from the company store, you know, to ensure a good outcome. But I have to admit, I kind of miss the competition. Thecompanystore.com has been perfecting the comforts of home for over 100 years, from Cozy pajamas and mittens to home decor and more. Visit thecompanystore.com and enter the code ELF by December 21st for guaranteed Christmas delivery and 20% off plus free shipping. 630 WLAP. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. Um, we were talking about tariffs and what they mean and you know, Trump's reason for, for adding tariffs, let's expand on that a little bit as to why 
uh, Donald Trump really believes that tariffs work when they can be very um, costly to uh, consumers and producers. Right. So the 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 logic you know currently behind uh, tariffs is that it can it's being used as a, a tactic to bring uh, China mainly to the negotiation table in order to ensure that trade practices are fair. So the big, uh, you know, uh, the contentious issue has been that China is not uh, a fair actor in the global trading system, especially when it has to do with uh, intellectual property rights and, uh, you know, sensitive technologies. So the belief and perhaps a lot of it is uh, based uh, on reality is that China infringes on intellectual property uh, rights. So it takes, you know, say an American company or a European company or any company comes up with a product, spends a lot of uh, resources, uh, has Co- copying the product. Yes, it basically copies it. Um, and that's, that's true. I, I think all of us, you know, even if we don't have hard data, we've heard about how something is made here and then, you know, is copied. Uh, and then sold back at a much uh, cheaper price. So that's really the big issue. And uh, what Donald Trump is trying to do is, you know, um, uh, increase the cost for China to do trade. China still uh, trades a lot with the U.S. It's still a major uh, manufacturer, so a lot of goods are manufactured in China and sold in Europe and the U.S. So when these goods become expensive in their end markets, there may not be as much demand. So, you know, that would hurt the the Chinese uh, manufacturing uh, base and manufacturing economy. So the idea is to, uh, you know, put some uh, pressure on China by imposing some costs uh, and to make them uh, give concessions or, you know, come out and say, okay, we'll have a stricter policy and we'll try harder to uh, prevent these unfair trade practices. Um, now, historically, when you look at the history of tariffs, uh, they were introduced uh, during times when uh, there was economic hardship, which you could argue that, you know, post the financial crisis, there was a lot of economic hardship here. Uh, a lot of jobs in a free trade system, jobs go to the place where uh, labor is the cheapest and the cost of manufacturing is the cheapest. So we know that after NAFTA, a lot of jobs went to Mexico. And then here in the last two decades, three decades, a lot of jobs have moved to China. So the the domestic uh, manufacturing base has been uh, disrupted. Now, the theory is that trade is good for everyone in the long run because when the uh, domestic base is disrupted, those uh, jobs are replaced by better paying jobs and the cost of products domestically go down so there's price deflation. But in practice, it's not that simple because you know if someone loses their job to trade, uh, they can't retrain immediately and you know uh, find another job or they can't move. You know Most people don't like moving or leaving their home behind. So um, even if there is another job available somewhere else, they may be reluctant to move. So the fact is that free trade has winners and losers, and the losers are 
upset because their lives have been disrupted and there's been a major backlash. Uh, so from one point of view, you know, uh, the goal is to bring some of those jobs back because if, you know, all of a sudden Chinese products become more expensive, then the same product can be manufactured in America, right. you know. Um, so that's that's part of the, the, the logic. Um, and I think the ultimate goal is to make sure that China becomes a more uh, fair player uh, to get some concessions and also make sure that China reciprocates and buys a lot of goods from uh, the US. Um, uh, And we'll we'll see. So now, you know, there's a three-month deadline. We'll see how the negotiations go and uh, ultimately if there is uh, some sort of an agreement. I think, you know, I think the idea behind this is right, you know, that there is legitimate concerns that, you know, when you have a free trading system, every actor has to act legitimately and no one can infringe on, you know... uh, Property rights have to be uh, copyrights. You have to have some um, standard for uh, being able to protect international prop or intellectual property there's got to be some rule of law. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Um, now, whether it was done uh, in the right way, uh, one of the arguments is that, yes, this is a concern, but ideally the U.S. should have gotten other allies on board Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, done a joint uh, effort to uh, fight instead of just going at it alone. Right. Okay, so... We we know why there are tariffs. We uh, we expect that uh, they will work one way or the other. They'll either work or they won't work. Um, OPEC agrees to cut output by 1.2 million barrels a day. Uh, oil prices jumped on Friday as OPEC and its allies agreed to a deal to cut production. OPEC delegates said the deal, which is expected to be rubber-stamped by allies, including Russia, would remove about 1.2 million barrels a day from the market, helping to damp concerns about an emerging glut of supplies that has pushed prices 30% lower in the past two months. Brent crude, the international benchmark, jumped as much as 5% to above $63 a barrel, while U.S. benchmark West Texas crude gained 4% to $54 a barrel. So what's going on with this? Uh, oil's dropped a lot in the past month and a half, uh, two months, basically. Um, why is it now that they're, you know, agreeing to limit supplies to try to buoy the price of oil, get it back up again? Yes, that's that's the plan. And then after that was announced, oil prices jumped, but they closed towards the end of the day. They dropped again. They still closed about a percent, a percent and a half higher than where they were the previous day. The The problem with OPEC uh, cutting supply is that oftentimes they don't, uh, you know, uh, adhere to the, the quota because there, there are so many countries in OPEC and some countries still keep producing uh, and supplying. So we don't know if that cut is going to have the impact that that is uh, intended. But 
part of the reason why oil prices have dropped so much is because uh, there's a lot of supply. The U.S. has become one of the uh, biggest suppliers of crude oil, biggest producers of crude oil. Uh, at the same time, uh, Iran is still producing uh, crude oil and supplying crude oil. Initially, there were expectations that because of sanctions, uh, Iran would not uh, produce and sell as much crude oil, but the U.S. gave eight countries uh, waivers from these sanctions, and those countries are the biggest buyers of Iranian crude. Uh, at the same time, uh, they... Well, what are those countries that obtain the waivers? Uh, China and India are the biggest ones. Yeah. Uh, because their uh, refineries are, you know, uh, I guess fed to uh, uh, refine crude that comes out of Iran. And... Uh, they are also uh, allies of the U.S., so the U.S. Uh, gave those waivers. Um, and the from the demand side, you know, there, there were expectations that the economy, not just in the U.S., but around the globe, was going to keep growing pretty strongly in 18, 19, and a few years beyond. And here lately, uh, that uh, that's come into question. So uh, now there are fears that, you know, maybe we won't have strong growth, so maybe there won't be as much demand for crude. Uh, so that's also put downward pressure on, uh, on prices. Um, the good thing, uh, there, are, there are two sides to this, you know, from the American perspective. One side is that, you know, as Donald Trump says, you know, a lower uh, gas prices is like a tax cut. That's, yeah, that's true. That's true if you are a consumer. But on the flip side, because the U.S. has become such a major producer, a lot of uh, capex and uh, you know hiring is done in the oil and gas sector. Right. Uh, there are six states in the U.S. that are big producers, uh, Texas being the biggest one. So if, if prices drop too much, then does that impact that side of the economy and you know will people there lose jobs or you know will that hurt the economy so um so the you know 10 years ago when the u.s was a net uh importer of crude and by the way there's an article there where the u.s after decades became a net exporter right of crude for the first time uh, you know so now you have to wonder you know how much of the benefit will be offset uh because of uh, lower crude prices. Still, even at 50 uh, West Texas crude, you know, uh, a lot of these uh, uh, projects are are viable, but they, it would be sort of at the borderline, you know. If it drops to 40, then some of these uh, shale projects come into question. Yes, it's, it says here in this article uh, from the Wall Street Journal, by Paul Kiernan and Christopher Matthews, that the U.S. economy's relationship with oil is changing. In the past, when the U.S. imported most of its energy needs, declining oil prices were a bounty to households and businesses. A rule of thumb was simple. Oil price drops boosted U.S. economic output. That's become more complicated. As the U.S. has risen to become the world's largest oil producer this year, a growing chunk of domestic investment Manufacturing and employment has become tied to oil. Now when oil prices fall, it risks hurting investment and hiring in important parts of the economy. Right. So it's it's definitely a much bigger part of the U.S. Uh, 
In fact, uh, this article from Bloomberg shows America turned into a net oil exporter last week, breaking almost 75 years of continued dependence on foreign oil and making a pivotal, if likely brief, moment towards what Donald Trump has branded U.S. energy independence. And it's it's inarguable that uh, this shale boom has made the United States energy ind- independent. We're not relying on the Saudis anymore like we used to talk so much for years about enriching the, the Arabs right. at the cost of our own economy. Now we, we uh, do it within the United States. And that's right. a major thing. It is, yes, and it's created a lot of uh, employment domestically. Uh, so it, it is a major thing. And, uh, you know, um, it, it's it's very good. The, the, the only question is, you know, if oil prices drop at this point, you know, how what, what happens to that? You know, does that industry uh, become vulnerable? Um, the big change really is that the 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 oil uh production boom in the US has been driven by shale uh production uh unlike you know in the past it was in the gulf of mexico where these giant uh rigs would go out in the ocean and you know these projects once you uh spend you incur your your capital expenditure the the well would produce for decades right uh these shale wells usually have a, have a life of about two years, and after two years, you have to reincur some capex and drill again. Uh, there's capital uh, required. So, you know, what happens uh, if, you know, interest rates start moving up? They have moved up to some extent. Uh, at the same time, uh, there's uh, not as much willingness to lend uh, for these projects. Right. Um, so it's, uh, the point is that it's a very capital-intensive industry, and capital-intensive industries tend to get uh, into trouble sometimes when the, the economy slows down or when, when capital is tight. Um, yeah. So you know that's that's I, I think one of the concerns. Uh, but o- overall, it's it's a it's a great thing. Yeah. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with the Darsh Mashru, powered by Dupree Financial Group on News Radio 630 WLAP. May. Royal Wedding. Mount Kilauea. 2018. Our embassy. Jerusalem. Time is running out. Three Americans are home. I just love Trump. Moral. Grand deal. God. 2019. Happens here. Sam Strong. News Radio 630 WLAP. At Dupree Financial Group, we do not earn commissions on your hard-earned retirement dollars. We don't sell you investment products that are difficult to understand. We do research on every security we recommend to you and follow them closely. We meet with you every six months to go over your investment performance. We don't hide from you. We communicate with you regularly about the status of your investments with us. We want you to be informed, comfortable, and happy. If all this sounds too good to be true, give us a try. Call us at 859-233-0400, and we'll set up a no-cost, no-obligation review of your retirement investment portfolio. You may be pleasantly surprised to find out what sort of services are available to you, the retirement investor. 
That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 and DupreeFinancial.com. 630 WLAP. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. So, Adarsh, at Dupree Financial Group, we invest in a certain way to try to withstand a lot of these ups and downs in the market. We're not exempt from them, of course. We do get affected, but talk about for a little bit about how our type of investing is uh, designed to benefit even in the downtimes. Right. So, you know, the the most important uh, factor, you know, when, when you're investing for retirement, uh, you know, there are two stages. One is uh, the accumulation stage when you're younger and you're just making contributions to your 401k or your IRA. At that point, it doesn't really matter much if the market fluctuates, goes up or down. In fact, when it goes down, that's a good thing because yeah. you can add. Right. Um, it becomes a little tricky as you get older and start relying on your investments for income when you're in the distribution phase, as it's known. At that point, uh, there's not much time really to make up for these big drawdowns that the market can experience. Uh, so what we try to do is create uh, portfolios that are diversified. When I say diversified, I mean that they're not just 100% invested in stocks. They're also invested in bonds. And by the way, bonds have done great this year. And, you know, a, a certain right. percentage of our portfolio is in uh, safe bonds, which... Uh, act as a cushion when the market drops, uh, produces an income, and uh, is a source of liquidity when, uh, you know, opportunity arises, you know, when the market drops, certain stocks become attractive, so we can use these bonds to buy those stocks. Um, but our, our main uh, focus is income, so we create a portfolio that generates a stable income, which uh, investors rely on. So investors are not necessarily liquidating their equity, their stock holdings in order to fund their retirement, their portfolio. Our goal is to make sure that their portfolio, their principal uh, stays intact and the income that they need is generated from dividends and interest in the portfolio. So really, uh, it's what the portfolio throws out. Uh, as Philip Sexton, who works with us, says, you know, it's you have the apple tree. You're just trying to pick out the apples and not right. chop down the tree. So that's that's our approach. Uh, what we've seen here recently is that, uh, you know, even though the stock market has dropped, it's been in the news, really certain sectors have dropped more than others. The biggest sectors that have dropped have been technology and consumer discretionary. So things which are not really needed, but people spend on uh, two sectors, uh, real estate investment trusts and utilities have actually performed extremely well. Right. Uh, and those are also sectors that uh, we invest in because they are uh, sectors that throw off a strong income. So our real estate uh, holdings, real estate investment trust holdings have, uh, have performed well in this time and continue to throw off the income that uh, right. our investors rely on. So... To sum it up, you know, it's a diversified portfolio, which includes stocks, bonds, even some cash. Uh, and uh, it throws off income. And uh, the goal is to not 
liquidate uh, principle, but just to uh, you know rely on the income that the portfolio produces. Yeah, and that is what's important for, as you said, for people that are entering retirement or getting into being retired. Uh, it it helps them to to have the income, so they don't have to liquidate their principle in order to uh, live. Right, absolutely. You know, when you invest in the stock market, you know, when you're relying on your investments for for income and for to fund your retirement, it's important to remember that, you know, the stock market, sure, over time, it's done extremely well, you know, over a hundred years, it's done extremely well. But there are periods when, you know, there's a lot of volatility when the market fluctuates and there are long periods of time also in the past where the market's not done anything or even gone down. Uh, we've seen those periods. So uh, it, it's important not to get caught up in that idea that, you know, oh, it's the market, you know, it'll always do well because this is your retirement. You know, this is something uh, that you need to be there uh, to, uh, you know, fund your retirement to make sure that you live a comfortable retirement. So it's always uh, crucial to be uh, conservative in your approach, you know, to uh, really rely on something which is more stable. And when I say stable, uh, you know, even though dividends or interest, nothing is guaranteed, but dividends and interest tend to be more stable. There are companies who have decades uh, of, uh, you know, uh, a decades long track record of, of paying dividends so that's that's what we try to uh to rely on instead of you know just prices going up right um let's see there's yeah there's actually an article that you put in here about how cash can be a good place to do be and you talked about cash actually performing better than than the uh stock market right recently it has yes you know now that uh, interest rates have gone up you can uh, just park your money in a one-year uh, t-bill or you can just put it in a cd uh, and it's yielding you know north of two percent uh, so two percent two and a half percent when the market has returned zero is, is not bad no Plus, it's not volatile, you know, so there's no heartache or no stress. Uh, so the the point is that, of course, ultimately you can't put everything uh, in a CD or uh, treasury bills because you need your money to grow, you need your income to grow, you need to protect against inflation, which the stock, which stocks do, uh, cash does not. But it can be, you know, uh, a certain percentage of your allocation, right. and during times like these. You can rely on that, and you can even use that to buy uh, bargains in the in the market when when they do uh, happen. So, if you'd like to talk to us about uh, looking at your retirement portfolio, please give us a call at eight five nine two three three zero four hundred at Dupree Financial Group, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed this show today. Uh, stay warm; it's it's very cold out there today. Um, You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Adarsh Mashru, News Radio 630 WLAP. Sunshine.